0: Hey everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Good morning! Good to be with you all here today. I'm gonna invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter four, as we continue in our sermon series on what it means to belong. We're actually gonna return for a third week today to Jesus' interaction with a woman at the well who didn't fit in. In The first two weeks, Tim preached on alone and then risk being known. Today's theme is open to God. We're going to be elevating an important and, and often overlooked area of belonging. Now, we're because we are uh, entering into this story kind of midstream today, here's a brief summary of the conversation that's taken place so far between Jesus and this Samaritan woman at the well. It went something like this. Jesus, would you give me a drink? Woman, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink? Jesus, I can give you living water. Woman, there's nothing like that around here. Jesus, this water won't satisfy. What I give results in deep, lasting life. Woman, I'd like some of that. Jesus, let's get more personal where's your husband? Woman, I don't have one. Jesus, you have experienced a number of broken relationships. Woman, you must be a prophet to know this. Let's talk about something else. And that's what leads us into today's passage. But before we read it, let's go to God and ask his guidance in this time together. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we long for a word from you today, a word of life, a word that would draw us closer to you and help us better understand how to experience and live out the abundant life that you promise us. And Lord, we thank you that you desire this even more. And so we pray that you would give us ears to hear, and give us eyes to see, give us minds to understand, and give us hearts to respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're, we're actually not only picking this up midstream in the story, we're picking this up midstream in what this woman has been saying to Jesus. And this is what she says beginning with our text today. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. During my mid 20s, I moved to another state to attend seminary full time. And I left behind a community of family and friends that were a rich source of relationships. I arrived on campus the beginning of July for summer classes, not knowing a single other student. And part of what heightened my sense of not belonging was was watching students engage relationally with other students they'd cultivated relationships with the previous school year. Ironically, about this same time, one of the most popular TV shows at that time had uh, these words as part of their opening theme song. You wanna go where everybody knows your name. Some of you are probably tempted to sing that just now, perhaps. <laughs> I went in one week from a community of deep meaning that I belonged to, where many knew my name, to an environment where no one did. And it took about another two and a half months until uh, students arrived for fall classes before I finally began to feel like I belonged within that community. I can't think of a sermon series more important than this one. Every one of us longs deeply within to be known by others, not only by name, but also for who we really are. This desire to belong and to engage with others is part of how God created us John Ortberg puts it this way. He, when he said, The yearning to attach and connect, to love and be loved, is the fiercest longing of the soul. Our need for community with people and the God who made us is to the human spirit what food and air and water are to the human body. It's true isn't it? And that's what makes this past year's social restrictions during the pandemic so oppressive for us. We had to keep our distance from the very relationships that we were created for. And our sense of belonging was challenged. We've been isolated, quarantined, masked. We have to keep six feet of distance, no hugs, no handshakes. We couldn't travel to visit loved ones and they couldn't travel to see us. Our children couldn't engage with each other during school face to face in all of the ways that they need to at that age. And there was a period of time that felt far too long for us when we couldn't even worship here together. Now, some of these restrictions remain while others may be returning, but by and large, we are not today where we were a year ago. I want to just pause and ask, when the offering plates came out a few moments ago, how many of you were glad to see them? Well, there's a first. (laughs) That's not usually the case, but with what we've been through, there's something familiar for us. But what happens when social restrictions are eased and we find ourselves still longing for more relationally than we are experiencing? That's the reason for this series. Now, at first glance, Jesus' words may seem to have little to say to us about belonging. But Jesus' comment here reminds us of the tremendous relational impact in what we are doing right here in this very moment. This unnamed woman probably wanted to try to get the spotlight off of herself and uh, and deflect for any other personal questions Jesus might ask her. And so she redirected the conversation by raising a historical argument between Jews and Samaritans. She said, sir, I can see, she says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Both Jew and Samaritan agreed that God had commanded a place of worship be established to worship him. What they disagreed on was where? The Jews insisted that it be in Jerusalem where the temple was and the Samaritans said it was Mount Gerizim where Jesus and this woman were having this conversation. And Jesus responded to this woman's redirect in three ways. First, he declared that worship locations would soon no longer be important He said, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. After Jesus drew all of us to himself on the cross, worship became tied to him and not to a place. And then Jesus went on to reinforce that the Jews were God's means of saving the world. He said, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. And it may sound like Jesus is putting this woman in her place, which seems very unlike Jesus. But he was simply reiterating God's original plan to use this one people, the Jews, for the salvation of the entire world. And then Jesus concluded by asserting the importance of how God's followers were to worship him. When he said, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Twice, Jesus mentions worshiping in spirit and in truth. And just a little hint, repetition is always a signal of something that's very important to Jesus. Here he's saying that when we worship, all of who we are becomes aligned with all of who God is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I love that image. All of who we are in worship becomes aligned with all of who God is. And our worship is also grounded in the truth of what Christ has done for us as well as the truth of who we are as we enter into worship. Now the word used for worship or worshiper is is used 13 times in the Gospel of John, 10 of which are found in this story that we are unpacking over these weeks. And right about now, some of you may be wondering, what does this conversation about worship have to do with belonging? Well, I'm glad you asked that. This morning, I want to suggest three ways in which this very activity we are sharing today right now helps fuel a sense of belonging. First, in worship, we are known. We are known. In our desire to belong, we we tend to selectively reveal ourselves to others. Tim preached on this last week, our our instinct to want to put our best foot forward and keep some of the less impressive things about us under the surface so we don't push people away. Journalist Sidney Harris observed many years ago that, that the human personality, he said, is like a banana. It's supposed to be peeled. But he said, we tend to approach it like an apple, polishing it, trying to make it as shiny as it can be and what others will see of it. But when others only know a portion of who we really are, our experience of belonging will be limited. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, we bring before him all of who we really are. Thomas Walker put it this way, each week in worship we encounter God who knows everything about us, whose nature is defined by love, and who loves us even knowing all that we have done. The truth that we bring before God in worship is that we don't have our act together. And God's truth is that he loves us anyway. In worship, we belong to God. And through what we do here together, we belong to a larger worshiping community. This Samaritan woman was stunned to learn that Jesus knew all about her failed relationships. But this act of worship provides a setting each week in which we are similarly fully known for who we are. I'd like to ask three questions this morning. And here's the first. Can God's accepting knowledge encourage us to reveal a little more of who we are with others, leaning into his love and his acceptance of us. Perhaps our insecurities or fears, maybe even places of failure or where we are struggling right now that we could use the encouragement of others. The more we learn to really trust each other with who we are, the deeper our experience of belonging will be. In worship, we are known. And then second, in worship, we are one. We are one. This Samaritan woman came to the well all by herself where she had this interaction with Jesus just as we enter this space separately this morning. But when worship begins... We are transformed from a room full of individuals to one body in a shared activity. This is the biggest difference between worshiping God on our own elsewhere and worshiping right here within a larger community. Both honor God, but the second enables us to experience a larger sense of belonging as we worship God with others. When the Denver Broncos host football games this fall, thousands of fans will enter the stadium individually. And when there's a big play, and goodness, don't we hope there'll be a big play or two this year? When there's a big play, those thousands of individuals will all join together as one in cheering. And for three-plus hours, they will enjoy a shared experience together. Friends, we do this right here every week. Our worship of God opens us up not only to him, but also to each other. And during this time, worship together unites us in a larger community. The Greek philosopher Epicurus once noted, of all the means to ensure happiness throughout the whole life, by far the most important is the acquisition of friends. But friends don't just happen. And belonging doesn't just happen. And so here's our second question. Would you take steps to deepen your experience of belonging beyond this time of worship? If you are not part of a a group here outside of worship, I, I encourage you strongly to seek out Michael Thornton early this week about joining one of the rooted groups that started last week, a place where you can be known. And if you are connected outside of worship, I would encourage you, even this morning, as you leave, greet someone you don't know. Broaden that expansion of the community to which we belong. In worship, we are one. And then third, in worship, we are equal. We are equal. Our differences feel increasingly pronounced nowadays, don't they? political differences, racial differences, socioeconomic differences, generational differences. And it feels as if our humanity is being pulled further and further apart as some of these differences become more and more pronounced. Friends, that's why worship is such a radical act of belonging. Belonging because we are pushing against the culture around us that focuses on and elevates the differences. Jesus enabled the Jew and the Samaritan to worship together. And the early church understood this in a way that shocked society around them for when they came to worship slave and free, men and women, powerful and overlooked, came to worship God equally together. Now, yes, we each approach this time of worship from different walks of life. But here's the thing. We all experience this time together equally at the foot of the cross. We all have the same standing before Jesus, whatever the rest of our lives might look like, this is a moment, this is a time when we are all equal before the foot of the cross. Our common situation as sinners in need of God's grace transcends any other differences that we walk in here with. Would you take a moment just to turn and look at those who are worshiping around you? Just just take a moment to look around. Get a good look at them. Now here's our third question. Can we look beyond the visible differences to see the commonality of God's image stamped within each of us that makes us equal, that draws us together at the foot of the cross? In worship, we are equal. Tom Toole was a pastor at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York. And one Christmas Eve, he was getting ready to prepare for a service when, when Toole saw one of his members, Jim, sitting in a pew. Jim was a recovering alcoholic. He'd been sober for six months but he had lost his family that year because of his alcoholism and Jim where he was sitting could see two pews in front of him a family of four and as he watched them laughing and hugging together Jim's spirit was crushed and the only way out he could think of was to leave and get a drink And so he got up and he began making his way out of the the sanctuary when he ran into his pastor. And Toole said, Jim, where are you going? And Jim honestly responded, I'm going to get a drink. And Toole knew his story and he knew that would be the worst thing he could do. And so he said, Jim, you can't do that. Where's your sponsor? And Jim said, my sponsor's in Minnesota. Tom, it's Christmas Eve. There's no one who can help. I came here tonight for some hope. And I see this family sitting in front of me and I'm reminded that if I hadn't messed up my life, I would be sitting with my family as well. Tool encouraged Jim to go to the pastor's robing room where there were some other pastors as he needed to get up to start the service. And as he walked up to the sanctuary, he prayed, Lord, give me wisdom to know how I can minister to Jim in this time. Their service started with announcements, and as Tom Toole was making the announcements, an idea came to him. And he concluded by saying, I have one more announcement. If any of you here are friends of Bill Wilson, and you'll know who you are, would you make your way right now to the pastor's robing room? Bill Wilson was the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. And many AA participants will refer to themselves as friends of Bill W. And in that moment, men, women, college students rose around the sanctuary and began making their way to one who desperately was in need of their encouragement. Toole reflected later that on that night when he was to preach, God becoming flesh, he saw it lived out right there within his congregation. Friends, that's God's desire for us as well. When we come together in worship of him, when we worship God, we are known, we are one, we are equal and we belong let's pray together oh holy god i pray for each of us who are here today wherever we may be whatever our needs may be lord would you just draw us deeply each of us into your loving embrace if there if we are not known by others help us to understand to See steps we can take for that to change. If we are, Lord, give us sensitivity and compassion and eyes to see where we can take initiative towards others. Thank you that when we come to worship you, we belong to you and we belong to each other. Lord, please continue to deepen that sense of belonging even as we come to this table and we approach your cross equally. At the foot of it, in Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at FirstPresCos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S.org.